0: ...reported. Being for all these reasons free from fear, I will write in this book what no one who has happiness would dare to write. And I will accuse the gods, especially the god who lives on the grey mountain. That is, I will tell all he has done to me from the very beginning, as if I were making my complaint of him before a judge. But there is no judge between gods and men, and the god of the mountain will not answer me. Terrors and plagues are not an answer... I write in Greek as my old master taught it to me. It may someday happen that a traveler from the Greek lands will again lodge in this palace and read the book. Then he'll talk of it among the Greeks, where there is great freedom of speech, even about the gods themselves. Perhaps their wise men will know whether whether my complaint is right or whether the god could have defended himself if he had made an answer. I was Oral, the eldest daughter of Trom, king of Gomes. The city of Glome stands on the left hand of the River Shenet to a traveler who is coming from the southeast, not more than a day's journey above Ringle, which is the last town southward that belongs to the land of Glome. The city is built about as far back from the river as a woman can walk in a third of an hour, for the Shenet overflows her banks in the spring. In summer there was then dry mud on each side of it, and reeds, and plenty of waterfowl, about as far beyond the fort of the Shenet as our city is on this side of it, you come to the holy house of Ungit. And beyond the house of Ungit, going all the time east and north, you come quickly to the foothills of the Grey Mountain. The god of the Grey Mountain, who hates me, is the son of Ungit. He does not, however, live in the house of Ungit, but Ungit sits there alone. In the furthest recess of her house, where she sits, it is so dark that you cannot see her well but in summer enough light may come down from the smoke holes in the roof to show her a little. She is a black stone without head or hands or face and a very strong goddess. My old master, whom we call the Fox, said she is the same whom the Greeks call Aphrodite. But I write all the names of people and places in our own language. I will begin my writing with the day my mother died and they cut off my hair, as the custom is. The fox, but he was not with us then, said it is a custom we learned from the Greeks. Bata, the nurse, shore me, and my sister Redival, outside the palace at the foot of the garden which runs steeply up the hill behind. Redival was my sister, three years younger than I, and we two were still the only children. While Bata was using the shears, many other of the slave women were standing round, from time to time wailing for the queen's death, death and beating their breasts, and in between they were eating nuts and joking. As the shears snipped and Reddival's curls fell off, the slaves said, Oh, what a pity, all the gold gone. <clears throat> they had not said anything like that while I was being shorn. But what I remember best is the coolness of my head and the hot sun on the back of my neck when we were building mud houses, Reddival and I, all that summer afternoon. Our nurse, Batta was a big-boned, fair-haired, hard-handed woman whom my father had bought from traders who had got her further north. <clears throat> when we plagued her, she would say, only wait till your father brings home a new queen to be your stepmother. It'll be changed times for you then. You'll have hard cheese instead of honey cakes then, and skim milk instead of red wine. Wait and see. As things fell out, we got something else before we got a stepmother. There was a bitter frost that day. Red and I were booted. We mostly went barefoot or sandaled and trying to slide in the yard, which is at the back of the oldest part of the palace, where the walls are wooden. There was ice enough all the way from the beer door to the big dunghill, what with frozen spills of milk and puddles and the stale of the beasts, but too rough for sliding. And out comes Batta with cold reddening her nose, calling out, Quick, quick! Ah, you filthies! Come and be cleaned, and then to the king. You'll see who's waiting for you there. My word, this will be a change for you is it the stepmother said Redival. oh worse than that worse than that you'll see said batta polishing Redival's face with the end of her apron lots of whippings for the pair of you lots of ear pullings lots of hard work then we were led off and over to the new parts of the palace where it is built of painted brick and there were guards in their armor and the skins and heads of animals hung up, up on the walls in the pillar room our father was standing by the hearth and Opposite him there were three men in traveling dress whom we knew well enough, traders who came to gloam three times a year. They were just packing up their scales, so we knew they'd been paid for something, and one was putting up a fetter, so we knew they must have sold our father a slave. There was a short, thick-set man standing before them, and we knew this must be the man they had sold, for you could still see the sore places on his legs where the irons had been. But he did not look like any other slave we had ever known. He was very bright-eyed, and whatever of his hair and beard was not grey was reddish. "'Now, Greekling,' said my father to this man, "'I trust to beget a prince one of these days, "'and I have a mind to see him brought up in all the wisdom of your people. "'Meanwhile, practice on them,' he pointed at us children. "'If a man can teach a girl, he can teach anything.' "'Then, just before he sent us away, he said, "'Specially the elder.' See if you can make her wise. It's about all she'll ever be good for. I didn't understand that, but I knew it was like things I'd heard people say of me ever since I could remember. I loved the fox, as my father called him, better than anyone I had yet known. You would have thought that a man who had been free in the Greek lands and then been taken in war and sold far away among the barbarians would be downcast. And so he was sometimes, possibly more often than I, in my childishness, guessed. But I never heard him complain, I never heard him boast, as all the other foreign slaves did, about the great man he'd been in his own country. He had all sorts of sayings to cheer himself up with. No man can be an exile if he remembers that all the world is one city, and everything is as good or bad as our opinion makes it. But i think what really kept him cheerful was his inquisitiveness i never knew such a man for questions he wanted to know everything about our country and language and ancestors and gods and even our plants and flowers that was how i came to tell him all about unget about the girls who are kept in her house and the presents that brides have to make to her and how we sometimes in a bad year have to cut someone's throat and pour the blood over her he shuddered when i said that and muttered something under his breath but A moment later he said, Yes, she is undoubtedly Aphrodite, though more like the Babylonian than the Greek. But come, I'll tell you a tale of our Aphrodite. Then he deepened and lilted his voice and told how their Aphrodite once fell in love with the prince Anchises, while he kept his father's sheep on the slopes of a mountain called Ida. And as she came down the grassy slopes towards his shepherd's hut, Lions and lynxes and bears and all sorts of beasts came about her fawning like dogs, and all went about from her again in pairs to the to the delights of love. But she dimmed her glory and made herself like a mortal woman, and came to Anchises and beguiled him, and they went up together into his bed. I think the fox had meant to end here, but the song now had him in its grip, and he went on to tell what followed, how Anchises woke from sleep and saw Aphrodite standing in the door of the hut, not now like a mortal, but with the glory. So he knew he had lain with the goddess, and he covered his eyes and shrieked, Kill me at once. Not that this ever really happened, the fox said in haste. It's only lies of poets, lies of poets, child, not in accordance with nature. But he had said enough to let me see that if the goddess was more beautiful in Greece than in Glome, she was equally terrible at each. It was always like that with the fox. He was ashamed of loving poetry. Ah, folly, child! And I had to work much at my reading and writing and what he called philosophy in order to get a poem out of him. But thus, little by little, he taught me many. Virtue, sought by man with travail and toil, was the one he praised most, but I was never deceived by that. The real lilt came into his voice and the real brightness into his eyes when we were off into Take me to the apple-laden land, or... The moon's gone down, but alone I lie. He always sang that one very tenderly and as if he pitied me for something. He liked me better than Redival, who hated study and mocked and plagued him and set the other slaves to play tricks on him. We worked most often in summer on the little grass plot behind the pear trees, and it was there one day that the king found us. We all stood up, of course, two children and a slave, with our eyes on the ground and our hands crossed on our breasts. The king smacked the fox heartily on the back and said, "'Courage, fox. There'll be a prince for you to work on yet, please, the gods. And thank them, too, fox, for it can often have fallen to the lot of a mere Greekling to rule the grandson of so great a king as my father-in-law that is to be. Not that you'll know or care much about it than an ass. You're all peddlers and hucksters down in the Greek lands, eh? Are not all men of one blood, masters?' said the fox." One one blood, said the king, with a stare and a great bull laugh. I'd be sorry to think so. Thus, in the end, it was the king, himself, and not Bada, who first told us that the stepmother was really at hand. My father had made a great match. He was to have the third daughter of the king of Kafad, who is the biggest king in our part of the world. I know now why Kafad wanted an alliance with so poor a kingdom as we are, "'and I have wondered how my father did not see "'that his father-in-law must already be a sinking man. "'The marriage itself was proof of it. "'It cannot have been many weeks before the marriage took place, "'but in my memory the preparations seemed to have lasted for almost a year. "'All the brickwork round the great gate was painted scarlet, "'and there were new hangings for the pillar room "'and a great new royal bed, "'which cost the king far more than he was wise to give. "'It was made of an eastern wood, "'which was said to have such virtue.' that four of every five children begotten in such a bed would be male. All folly, child, said the fox, these things come about by natural causes. And as the day drew nearer, there was nothing but driving in of beasts and slaughtering of beasts, the whole courtyard reeked with the skins of them, and baking and brewing. But we children had not much time to wander from room to room, and stare and hinder, for the king suddenly took it into his head that Redival and I, and twelve other girls, daughters of nobles, were to sing the bridal hymn, and nothing would do him but a Greek hymn, which was a thing no other neighboring king could have provided. But, Master, said the fox, almost with tears in his eyes, "'Teach them, fox, teach them,' roared my father. "'What's the use of my spending good food and drink on your Greek belly "'if I'm not to get a Greek song out of you on my wedding night?' "'What's that? No one's asking you to teach them Greek. "'Of course they won't understand what they're singing,' but they can make the noises. See to it, or your back will be redder than your, ever your beard was. It was a crazy scheme, and the fox said afterwards that the teaching of that hymn to us barbarians was what made the last of red hair. I was a fox, he said. Now I'm a badger. When we had made some progress in our task, the king brought the priest of Unged in to hear us. I had a fear that the priest, which was quite different from my fear of my father, I think that what frightened me in those early days was the holiness of the smell that hung about him, a temple smell of blood, mostly pigeon's blood, but he had sacrificed men too, and burnt fat and singed hair and wine and stale incense. It is the ungut smell. Perhaps I was afraid of his clothes too, all the skins they were made of, and the dried bladders and the great mask shaped like a bird's head which hung on his chest. It looked as if there were a, beard, a bird growing out of his body. He did not understand a word of the hymn nor the music either, but he asked, Are the young women to be veiled or unveiled? Need you ask, said the king, with one of his great laughs, jerking his thumb in my direction, Do you think I want my queen frightened out of her sentences? senses? Veils, of course, and good thick veils, too. One of the other girls tittered, and I think that was the first time I clearly understood that I am ugly. This made me more afraid of the stepmother than ever. I thought she would be crueler to me than to Reddivill because of my ugliness. It wasn't only what Batta had said that frightened me. I had heard of stepmothers and plenty of stories. But when the night came, and we were all in the pillared porch, nearly dazzled with the torches and trying hard to sing our hymn as the fox had taught us to, and he kept frowning and smiling and nodding at us while we sang and Once he held up his hands in horror. Pictures of things that had been done to girls in the stories were dancing in my mind. Then came the shouts from outside and more torches, and the next moment they were lifting the bride out of the chariot. She was as thickly veiled as we, and all I could see was that she was very small. It was as if they were lifting a child. That didn't ease my fears. The little are the spiteful, our proverb says. Then, still singing... "'we got her into the bridal chamber and took off her veil. "'I know now that the face I saw was beautiful, "'but I did not think of that then. "'All I saw was that she was frightened, "'more frightened than I, indeed terrified. "'It made me see my father as he must have looked to her "'a moment since when she had her first sight of him "'standing to greet her in the porch. "'His was not a brow, a mouth, a girth, a stance, "'or a voice to quiet a girl's fear.' We took off layer after layer of her finery, making her yet smaller, and left the shivering white body with its staring eyes in the king's bed, and filed out. We had sung very badly. Chapter 2 I could say very little about my father's second wife, for she did not live till the end of her first year in Gloam. She was with child as soon as anyone could reasonably look for it, and the king was in high spirits, and hardly ever ran across the fox without saying something about the prince who was to be born. He made great sacrifices to Ungit every month after that. How it was between him and the queen I do not know, except that once, after messengers had come from Kafad, I heard the king say to her, It begins to look, girl, as if I had driven my sheep to a bad market. I learn now that your father has lost two towns, no three, though he tries to mince the matter. I would thank him to have told me he was sinking before he persuaded me to embark in the same bottom. I was leaning my head on my window sill to dry my hair after the bath, and they were walking in the garden. However that might be, it is certain that she was very homesick, and I think our winter was too hard for her southern body. She was soon pale and thin. I learned that I had nothing to fear from her. She was at first more afraid of me. After that, very loving in her timid way, and more like a sister than a stepmother. Of course no one in the house went to bed on the night of the birth, for that they say, will make the child refuse to wake into the world. We all sat in the great hall between the pillar room and the bedchamber in a red glare of birth torches. The flames swayed and guttered terribly, and all doors must for all doors must be open, the shutting of a door might shut up the mother's womb. In the middle of the hall burned a great fire. Every hour the priest of Unget walked round it nine times and threw in the proper things. The king sat in his chair and never moved all night, not even his head. I was sitting next to the fox. Grandfather, I whispered to him, I am terribly afraid. We must learn, child, not to fear anything that nature brings, he whispered back. I must have slept after that, for the next thing I knew was the sound of women wailing and beating the breast as I heard them do "'It and the day my mother died. "'Everything had changed while I slept. "'I was shivering with cold. "'The fire had sunk low. "'The king's chair was empty. "'The door of the bedchamber was at last shut, "'and the terrible sounds from within it had stopped. "'There must have been some sacrifice, too, "'for there was a smell of slaughtering and blood on the floor, "'and the priest was cleaning his holy knife. "'I was all in a daze from my sleep, "'for I started up with the wildest idea. "'I would go and see the queen.' The fox was after me long before I'd reached the door of the bedchamber. Daughter, daughter, he was saying. Not now. Are you mad? The king. At that moment the door was flung open and out came my father. His face shocked me full awake for he was in his pale rage. I knew that in his red rage he could storm and threaten and little might come of it, but when he was pale, he was deadly. Wine, he said, not very loud, but that too was a bad sign. The other slaves pushed forward a boy who was rather a favorite, as slaves do when they're afraid. The child, white as his master and in all of his finery, my father dressed the younger slaves very fine, came running with the flagon and the royal cup, slipped in the blood, reeled, and dropped both. Quick as a thought, my father whipped out his dagger and stabbed him in the side. The boy dropped dead in the blood and the wine and the fall of his body, sent the flagon rolling over and over. It made a great noise in that silence. I hadn't thought till then that the floor of the hall was so uneven. I have repaved it since. My father stared for a moment at his own dagger stupidly, it seemed. Then he went very gently up to the priest. What have, to you, what have you to say for Ungut now, he asked still in that low voice. You had better recover what she owes me. When are you going to pay me for my good cattle? Then, after a pause, tell me, Prophet... What would happen if I hammered Unget into powder and tied you between the hammers and the stone? But the priest was not in the least afraid of the king. unget hears, king, even at this moment, he said, and Ungut will remember. You have already said enough to call down doom upon all your descendants. Descendants, says the king, you talk of descendants. Still very quiet, but now he was shaking. The ice of his rage would break any moment. The body of the dead boy caught his eye. "'Who did that?' he asked. "'Then he saw the fox and me. "'All the blood rushed into his face, "'and now at last the voice came roaring out of his chest "'loud enough to lift the roof. "'Girls, girls, girls,' he bellowed, "'and now one girl more. "'Is there no end to it? Is there a plague of girls in heaven "'that the gods send me this flood of them? "'You, you,' he caught me by the hair, "'shook me to and fro, "'and flung me from him so that I fell in a heap. "'There are times even when a child knows better than to cry.' When the blackness passed, and I could see again, he was shaking the fox by his throat. "'Here's an old babbler who has eaten my bread long enough,' he said. "'It would be, it would have paid me better to buy a dog, as things turned out. "'But I'll feed you in idleness no longer. "'Some of you take him to the mines tomorrow. "'There might be a week's worth in his own old bones even now.' Again there was dead silence in the hall. Suddenly the king flung up his hands, stamped and cried, "'Faces, faces!' "'Faces, what are you all gaping at? "'It'd make a man mad. "'Be off, away, out of my sight, the whole pack of you.' "'We were out of the hall as quick as the doorways would let us. "'The fox and I went to the little door by the herb garden on the east. "'It was nearly daylight now, and there was a small rain beginning. "'Grandfather,' I said sobbing, "'you must fly at once, this moment before they come to take you to the mines.' "'He shook his head. "'I'm too old to run far,' he said, "'and you know what the king does to runaway slaves.' But the mines, the mines, look, I'll come with you. If we're caught, I'll say I made you come. We shall be almost out of gloom once we're over that. He pointed. I pointed to the ridge of the grey mountain, now dark with a white daybreak behind it, seen through the slanting rain. That is foolishness, daughter, he said, petting me like a small child. They would think I was stealing you to sell. No, I must fly further. And help me, you shall. Down by the river, you know the little plant with the "'Purple spots on its stalk. "'It's the roots of it I need. "'The poison? "'Why, yes. "'Child, child, don't cry so. "'Have I not told you often "'that to depart from life of a man's own will "'when there's a good reason "'is one of the things that are accord- according to nature? "'We are to look on life as... "'They say that those who go down that way well <coughs> "'lie wallowing in filth "'down there in the land of the dead. "'Hush, hush. "'Are you also still a barbarian? "'At death we are resolved into our elements.' Shall I accept birth and cavil at? Oh, I know, I know, but, Grandfather, do you really in your heart believe nothing of what is said about the gods and those below? But you do, you do, you are trembling. That is my disgrace. The body is shaking. I needn't let it shake the god within me. Have I not already carried this body too long if it makes such a fool of me at the end? But we are wasting time. Listen, said I, what's that? for I was in a state to be scared by every sound. Horses, said the fox, peering through the quick hedge, with his eyes screwed up to see against the rain. They are coming to the great door, messengers from far is by the look of them, and that will not sweeten the king's mood either. Will you, Ah, Zeus, it is already too late? For there was a call from within doors. The fox, the fox, the fox to the king. As well go as be dragged, said the fox. Farewell, daughter. And he kissed me greek fashion on the eyes and the head but i went in with him i had an idea i would face the king though whether i meant to beseech him or curse him or kill him i hardly knew. but as we came to the pillar room we saw many strangers within and the king shouted through the open door here fox i've worked for you then he saw me and said and you curd face be off to the women's quarters and don't come here to sour the morning drink for the men I do not know that I have ever, to speak of things merely mortal, been in such dread as I was for the rest of that day, (coughs) dread that feels as if there were an empty place between your belly and your chest. I didn't know whether I dared to be comforted by the king's last words or not, for they sounded as if his anger had passed, but it might blaze out again. Moreover, I had known him to do a cruel thing, not in anger, but in a kind of murderous joke, or because he remembered he had sworn to do it when he was angry. He had sent old house-slaves to the mines before, and I could not be alone with my terror, for now comes Bata to shear my head and Redivels again, as they had been shorn when my mother died, and to make a great tale, clicking her tongue, of how the queen was dead in childbed, which I had known ever since I had heard the morning, and how she had borne a daughter alive. I sat for the shearing and thought that if the fox must die in the mines, "'It was very fit that I should offer my hair. "'Lank and dull it lay on the floor "'beside Redival's rings of gold. "'In the evening the fox came and told me "'that there was no more talk of the mines for the present. "'A thing that had often irked me had now been our salvation. "'More and more of late the king had taken the fox away from us girls "'to work for him in the pillar room. "'He had begun to find that the fox could calculate and read and write letters.' at first only in Greek, but now in the speech of our parts too, and gave advice better than any man in Gloam. This very day the fox had taught him to drive a better bargain with the king of Fars than he would ever have thought of for himself. The fox was a true Greek, where my father could only give a yes or no to some neighboring king or dangerous noble. He could pare the yes to a very, very quick and sweeten the no till it went down like wine. He could make your weak enemy believe that you were his best friend and make your strong enemy believe you were twice as strong as you really were. He was far too useful to be sent to the mines. They burnt the dead queen on the third day. My father named the child Istra. It is a good name, said the fox, a very good name. And you know enough now to tell me what it would be in Greek. It would be Psyche, grandfather, said I. Newborn children were no rarity in the palace, the place sprawled with the slaves' babies and my father's bastards. Sometimes my father would say, lecherous rascals, and anyone would think this was Ungut's house, not mine, and threatened to drown a dozen of them like blind puppies. But in his heart he thought the better of a man-slave if he could get half the babes in the palace with child, especially if they bore boys. The girls, unless they took his own fancy, were mostly sold when they were ripe. Some were given to the house of Ungat. Nevertheless, because I had a little loved the Queen, I went to see Psyche that very evening as soon as the fox had set my mind at rest, and so in one hour I passed out of the worst anguish I had yet suffered into the beginning of all my joys. The child was very big, not in a wearish little thing as you might have expected from her mother's stature, and very fair of skin. You would have thought she made bright all the corner of the room in which she lay, she slept, tiny was the sound of her breathing, but there was never a child like Psyche for quietness in her cradle days. As I gazed at her, the fox came in on tiptoes and looked over my shoulder. Now by all the gods, he whispered, old fool that I am, I could almost believe that there really is divine blood in your family. Helen herself, new hatched, must have looked so. Bata had put her purse, her, put her to nurse with a red-haired woman who was sullen, and like Bata herself, too fond of the wine jar. I soon had the child out of their hands. I got for her a nurse, a free woman, a peasant's wife, as honest and wholesome as I could find, and after that both were in my chamber day and night. Bata was only too pleased to have her work done for her, and the king knew and cared nothing about it. The fox said to me, "'Don't wear yourself out, daughter, with too much toil, "'even if the child is beautiful as a goddess.' But I laughed in his face. I think I laughed more in those days than in all my life before. Toil. I lost more sleep looking on Psyche for the joy of it than in any other way. And I laughed because she was always laughing. She laughed before the third month. She knew me for certain, though the fox said not, before the second. This was the beginning of my best times. The fox's love for the child was wonderful. I guessed that long before, when he was free, he must have had a daughter of his own. He was like a true grandfather now, and it was now always we three, the fox and Psyche and I, alone together. Redival had always hated our lessons and, but for the fear of the king, would never have come near the fox. Now, it seemed, the king had put all his three daughters out of his mind, and Redival had her own way. She was growing tall, her breasts rounding, her long legs getting their shape. She promised to have beauty enough, but not like Psyche's. Of Psyche's beauty at every age, the beauty proper to that age, there is only this to be said, that there were no two opinions about it from man or woman once she had been seen. It was beauty that did not astonish you till afterwards when you had gone out of sight of her and reflected on it. While she was with you, you were not astonished. It seemed the most natural thing in the world. As the fox delighted to say, she was, quote, according to nature, unquote. What every woman, or even everything, ought to have been and meant to be, but had missed by some trip of chance. Indeed, when you looked at her, you believed for a moment that they had not missed it. She made beauty all round her. When she trod on mud, the mud was beautiful. When she ran in the rain, the rain was silver. When she picked up a toad, it had, she had the strangest and, I thought, unchanciest love for all manner of brutes. The toad became beautiful. The years, doubtless, went round then as now, but in my memory it seems to have been all springs and summers. I think the almonds and the cherries blossomed earlier in those years, and the blossoms lasted longer. How they hang on in such winds I don't know, for I see the boughs always rocking and dancing against the blue and white skies, and their shadows flowing water-like over all the hills and valleys of Psyche's body. I wanted to be a wife so that I could have been her real mother. I wanted to be a boy so that she could be in love with me. I wanted her to be my full sister instead of my half sister. I wanted her to be a slave so I could set her free and make her rich. The fox was so trusted by now that when my father did not need him, he was allowed to take us anywhere, even miles from the palace. We were often out all day in summer on the hilltop to the southwest, looking down on all gloam and across to the gray mountain. We stared our eyes out on that jagged ridge till we knew every tooth and notch of it, for none of us had ever gone there or seen what was on the other side. Psyche, almost from the beginning, for she was very quick-thinking child, was half in love with the mountain. She made herself stories about it. When I'm big, she said, I will be a great, great queen, married to the greatest king of all, and he will build me a castle of gold and amber up there on the very top. The fox clapped his hands and sang, prettier than Andromeda, prettier than Helen, prettier than Aphrodite herself. Speak words a better omen, grandfather, said I, though I knew he would scold and mock me for saying it. For at his words, though on that summer day the rocks were too hot to touch, it was as if a soft, cold hand had been laid on my left side, and I shivered. Bye-bye, said the fox. It is your words that are ill-omened. THE DIVINE NATURE IS NOT LIKE THAT. IT HAS NO ENVY. BUT WHATEVER HE SAID, I KNEW IT IS NOT GOOD TO TALK THAT WAY ABOUT hunga CHAPTER THREE IT WAS Redival WHO ENDED THE GOOD TIME. SHE HAD ALWAYS BEEN FEATHER-HEADED AND NOW GREW WANTON. AND WHAT MUST SHE DO BUT STAND KISSING AND WHISPERING LOVE TALK WITH A YOUNG OFFICER OF THE GUARD, ONE TERRAN, RIGHT UNDER BATA'S WINDOW AN HOUR AFTER MIDNIGHT. Bata had slept off her wine in the earlier part of the night and was now wakeful, being a busybody and tattler and grain. She went off straight and woke the king, who cursed her roundly but believed her. He was up and had a few armed men with him and was out into the garden and surprised the lovers before they knew anything was amiss. The whole house was raised by the noise of it. The king had the barber to make a eunuch of Terran there and then. As soon as he was healed, they sold him down at Ringle. "'The boy's screams had hardly sunk to a whimper "'before the king turned on the fox and me "'and made us to blame for the whole thing. "'Why had the fox not looked to his pupil? "'Why had I not looked to my sister? "'The end of it was a strict command "'that we were never to let her out of our sight. "'Go where you will, and do what you will,' said my father, "'but that salt bitch must be with you. "'I tell you, fox, if she loses her maidenhead "'before I find her a husband, "'you'll yell louder for it than she. "'Look to your hide.' And you goblin daughter, do what you're good for, you'd best. Name of ungut, if with that face can't frighten the men away, it's a wonder. Redival was utterly cowed by the king's anger and obeyed him. She was always with us. And that soon cooled any love she had for Psyche or me. She yawned, and she quarrelled, and she mocked. Psyche, who was a child so merry, so truthful, so obedient, that in her, the fox said, virtue herself had put on human form could do no right in Redival's eyes. One day Redival hit her. Then I hardly knew myself again till I found I was astride of Redival, she on the ground with her face a lather of blood and my hands about her throat. It was the fox who pulled me off, and in the end some kind of peace was made between us. Thus all the comfort we three had had was destroyed when Redival joined us, and after that, little by little, one by one, came the first knocks of the hammer that finally destroyed us all. "'That year, after I fought Redival, was the first of the bad harvests. "'That same year, my father tried to marry himself, as the fox told me, "'into two royal houses among the neighboring kings, but they would have none of him. "'The world was changing. The great alliance with Kafad had proved a snare. "'The tide was against Glome. "'The same year, too, a small thing happened, which cost me many a shuddering. "'The fox and I, up behind the pear trees, were deep in his philosophy.' Psyche had wandered off singing to herself among the trees to the edge of the royal gardens where they overlooked the lane. Redival went after her. I had one eye on the pair of them and one ear for the fox. Then it seemed they were talking to someone in the lane and shortly after that they came back. Redival, sneering, bowed double before Psyche and went through the actions of pouring dust on her head. "'Why don't you honor the goddess?' she said to us. What do you mean, Redoval, asked I, wearily, for I knew she must meant some new spite. Did you not know our stepsister has become a goddess? What does she mean, Istros? said I. I never called her Psyche now that Redeval had joined us. Come on, stepsister goddess, speak up, said Redival. I am sure I have been told often enough how truthful you are, so you will not deny that you have been worshipped. It is not true, said Psyche. All that happened was that woman with child asked me to kiss her. "'Ah, but why?' said Redival. "'Because she said her baby would be beautiful if I did.' "'Because you're so beautiful yourself. Don't forget that. She said that. "'And what did you do, Istra?' asked I. "'I kissed her. She was a nice woman. I liked her. "'And don't forget that she then laid down a branch of myrtle at your feet "'and bowed and put dust on her head,' said Redival. "'Has this happened before?' Istra said I. "'Yes, sometimes.' "'How often?' "'I don't know. "'Twice before? "'More than that.' "'Well, ten times?' "'No, more. "'I don't know. "'I can't remember. "'What are you looking at me like that for? "'Is it wrong?' "'Oh, it's dangerous, dangerous, I. "'The gods are jealous. "'They can't bear—' "'Daughter, it doesn't matter a straw,' said the fox. "'The divine nature is without jealousy. "'Those gods, the sort of gods you're always thinking about, "'are all folly and the lies of poets.' We have discussed this a hundred times. Hey ho, yawned Redival, lying flat on her back in the grass and kicking her legs in the air till you could see all that there was of her, which she did purely to put the fox out of countenance, for the old man was very modest. Hey ho, a stepsister for goddess and a slave for counselor. Who'd be a princess in Loam? I wonder what Ungut thinks of our new goddess. It is not very easy to find out what Ungut thinks said the fox. Redival rolled round and laid her cheek on the grass. Then, looking up at him, she said softly, But it would be easy to find out what the priest of Ungid thinks. Shall I try? All my old fear of the priest, and more fears for the future that I could put a name to, stabbed into me. Sister, said Redival to me, Give me your necklace with the blue stones, the one our mother gave you. Take it, said I. I'll give it to you when we go in. And you, slave, she said to the fox, Mend your manners, and get my father to give me some king in marriage. It must be a young king, brave, yellow-bearded, and lusty. You can do what you like with my father when you're shut up with him in the pillar room. Everyone knows you're the real king of gloom. The year after that we had rebellion. It came of my father's gelding Terran. Terran himself was of no great lineage, to be about a king's house at all, and the king had thought his father would have no power to avenge him. But the father had made common cause with bigger men than himself, and about nine lords in our northwest rose against us. My father took the field himself, and when I saw him ride out in his armor, I came nearer to loving him than I had been yet, and beat the rebels, but with great slaughter on both parts, and I think more slaughter of the beaten men than was needed. The thing left a stench and a disaffection between it, behind it, when it was all done, the king was weaker than he had been. That year was the second bad harvest, and the beginning of the fever. In the autumn, the fox took it and nearly died. I could not be with him, for as soon as the fox fell sick, the king said, Now, girl, you can read and write and chatter Greek. I'll have work for you. You must take the fox's place. So I was nearly always in the pillar room, for there was much business at the time. Though I was sick with fear for the fox, the work which my father was the work with my father was far less dreadful to me than I expected. He came for the time to hate me less. In the end, he would speak to me, not certainly with love, but friendly as one man might to another. I learned how desperate his affairs were. No neighboring houses of divine blood, and ours cannot lawfully marry into any other, would take his daughters or give him theirs. The nobles were muttering about the succession. There were threats of war from every side and no strength to meet any one of them. It was Psyche who nursed the fox. However, often forbidden, she would fight, yes, and bite any who stood between her and his door. For she too had our father's hot blood, though her angers were all the sort that come from love. The fox won through his illness, thinner and grayer than before. Now the mark, the subtle now mark the subtlety of the god who is against us. The story of his recovery and Psyche's nursing got abroad. Bata alone was the conduit pipe enough though there were a score of other talkers. It became a story of how the beautiful princess could cure the fever by her touch, soon that her touch was the only thing that could cure it. Within two days, half the city was at the palace gate. Such scarecrows, risen from their beds, old dotards as eager to save their lives as if their lives in any event were worth a year's purchase. Babies, sick men, half dead and carried on beds. I stood looking at them from behind barred windows, all the pity and dread of it, the smell of sweat and fever and garlic and foul clothes. "'The Princess Istra,' they cried, "'send out the Princess with her healing hands. "'We die, healing, healing, healing.' "'And bread,' came other voices. "'The Royal Granaries, we are starving.' "'This was at first. "'Well, they stood a little way off from the gate, "'but they got nearer. "'Soon they were hammering at it. "'Someone was saying, "'Bring fire.' But behind them, the weaker voices wailed on, "'Heal us, heal us, the princess with the healing hands.' "'She'll have to go out,' said my father. "'We can't hold them. Two-thirds of our guards were down with the fever.' "'Can she heal them?' said I to the fox. "'Did she heal you?' "'It is possible,' said the fox. "'It might be in accordance with nature that some hands can heal. "'Who knows?' "'Let me go out,' said Psyche. "'They are our people.' "'Ah, rump,' said my father. "'They shall smart for this day's work "'if I ever get the whip-hand of them again. "'But quit, dress the girl. "'She's beauty enough, that's one thing, and spirit. "'They put a queen's dress on her "'and a chaplet on her head and opened the door. "'You know how it is when you shed few tears or none, "'but there is a weight and pressure "'of weeping through your whole head. "'It is like that with me even now "'when I remember her going out, "'slim and straight as a scepter.' out of the darkness and cool of the hall, into the hot, pestilential glare of that day. The people drew back, thrusting one another the moment the doors opened. I think they expected a rush of spearmen. But a minute later, the wailing and shouting died utterly away. Every man, and many a woman too, in that crowd was kneeling. Her beauty, which most of them had never seen, worked on them as a terror might work. Then a low murmur, almost a sob began, swelled, broke into a gasping cry. A goddess! A goddess! One woman's voice rang out clear. It is Ungat herself in mortal shape. Psyche went on, walking slowly and gravely, like a child going to say a lesson, right in among all the foulness. She touched, and she touched. They fell at her feet and kissed her feet and the edge of her robe, and her shadow and the ground where she had trodden. And still she touched, and touched. There seemed to be no end of it. The crowds increased instead of diminishing. For hours she touched. The air was stifling even for us who stood in the shadow of the porch. The whole earth and air ached for the thunderstorm, which, we knew now, would not come. I saw her growing paler, and paler her walk had become a stagger. King, said I, it will kill her. Then more's the pity, said the king. They'll kill us all if she stops. It was over in the end, somewhere about sunset, we carried her to her bed, and the next day the fever was on her. But she won through it. In her wanderings, she talked most of her golden amber castle on the ridge of the gray mountain. At her worst, there was no look of death upon her face. It was as if she dared not to come near. It was as if he dared not to come near her. And when her strength came back, she was more beautiful than before. The childness, childishness, had gone there was a new and severer radiance. Ah, no wonder, sang the fox, if the Trojans and the Achaeans suffered long woes for such a woman. Terribly does she resemble an undying spirit. Some of the sick in the town died, and some recovered. Only the gods know, if those who recovered were those whom Psyche had touched, and the gods do not tell. But the people had at first no doubts. Every morning there were offerings left for her outside the palace, "'myrtle branches and garlands, and soon honey-cakes, and then pigeons, "'which are especially sacred to Ungat. "'Can this be well?' I said to the fox. "'I should be greatly afraid,' said he, "'but for one thing. "'The priest of Ungat lies sick with the fever himself. "'I do not think he can do us much, much mischief at present.' "'About this time, Reneval became very pious, "'and went off into the house of Ungat to make offerings. "'The fox and I saw to it that she always had with her a trusty old slave,' "'who would let not let who would let her get into no mischief. "'I thought she was praying for a husband. "'She wanted one badly, since the king had, in a manner, "'chained her to the fox of me. "'And also she was glad to be out of our sight for an hour "'as we were to be out of hers. "'Yet I warned her to speak to no one on the way. "'Oh, make your mind easy, sister,' said Rederville. "'It's not me they worship, you know. "'I'm not a goddess. "'The men are as likely to look at you as at me. "'Now they've, now they've seen espra Chapter Four. Up till now, I had not known what the common people are like. That is why their adorings of Psyche, which in one way made me afraid, comforted me in another. For I was confused in my mind, sometimes thinking what Ungit, by her own divine power, might do to any mortal who thus stole her honor, and sometimes of what the priests and our enemies in the city—my father had many now—might do with their tongues or stones or spears. Against the latter, the people's love for Psyche seemed to me a protection. It did not last long. <coughs> for one thing, the mob had now learned that a palace door could be opened by banging on it. Before Psyche was out of her fever, they were back at our gates crying, Corn, corn, we are starving, open the royal granaries. That time the king gave them a dole. But don't come again, he said, I've no more to give you. Name of ungud you think I can make corn if the fields don't bear it? And why don't they, said a voice from the back of the crowd. Where are your sons, king, said another. Where's the prince? The king of Fars has thirteen sons, said another. Barren king makes barren land, said a fourth. This time the king saw who had spoken, and nodded to one of the bowmen who stood beside him. Before you could wink, the arrow went through the speaker's throat, and the mob took to its heels. But it was foolishly done. My father ought to have killed either none of them or nearly all. He was right enough, though, in saying you could give them no more doles. This was the second of the bad harvest, and there was little in the granary but our own seed corn. Even in the palace, we were already living, for the most part, on leeks and bean bread and small beer. It took me endless contrivance to get anything good for Psyche, when she was mending from the fever. The next thing was this. Shortly after Psyche was well, I left the pillar room where I had been working for the king, and he still kept the fox with him after he let me go, and set out to look for Redival. that care being always on my mind. The king would have thought nothing of keeping me away from her at his own business all day, and then blaming me for not having my eyes on her. But as it happened, I met her at once, just coming in from one of her visits to the house of Unget and Batta with her. Batta and she were thick as thieves these days. You needn't come looking for me, Sister Jailer, said Redival. I'm safe enough. There... "'It isn't here that danger lies. "'When did you last see the little goddess? "'Where's your darling stepsister?' "'In the gardens, most likely,' said I. "'And as for little, she's half a head taller than yourself.' "'Oh, mercy, have I blasphemed? "'Will she smite me with thunder? "'Yes, she's tall enough, tall enough to see her a long way off. "'Half an hour ago, in a little lane near the marketplace. "'A king's daughter doesn't usually walk the back streets alone, "'but I suppose a goddess can.' Istra out in the town and alone, said I. Indeed she was then, chattered Batta, scuttling along with her robe caught up, like this, like this. Batta was a bad mimic, but always mimicking. I remember that from my earliest years. I'd have followed her, the young bold face, but she winned at a doorway, so I so she did. Well, well, said I, the child ought to have known better, but she'll do no harm and come to none. Come to no harm, said Batta. That's more than any of us know. You are mad, nurse, said I. The people are worshipping her not six days ago. I don't know anything about that, said Bada, who do perfectly well, but she'll get little worship today. I knew it would come I knew what would come of all that touching and blessing. Five goings on indeed, the plague's worse than it ever was. There were a hundred died yesterday. The Smith's wife's brother in law tells me. They say the touchings didn't heal the fever, but gave it. "'I've spoken to a woman whose father was touched by the princess, "'and he was dead before they carried him home. "'And he wasn't the only one. "'If anyone had listened to old Bata, "'but I at least listened no more. "'I went out to the porch and looked towards the city for a long half-hour. "'I watched the shadows of the pillars slowly changing their position, "'and it was then I first saw how the things we have known "'ever since we were weaned can look new and strange, like enemies.' And at last I saw a Psyche coming, very tired and in great haste. She caught me by the wrist and swallowed like one that has a sob in the throat and began leading me away and never stopped till we were in my own chamber. Then she put me on in my chair and fell down and laid her head on my knees. I thought she was crying, but when at last she raised her face, there were no tears on it. "'Sister,' she said, "'what is wrong? I mean, about me.' "'About you, Psyche?' I said, "'Nothing. What do you mean?' Why do they call me the accursed? Who has dared? We'll have his tongue torn out. Where have you been? Then it all came out. She had gone, very foolishly, I thought, into the city without a word to any of us. She had heard their old nurse, the free woman whom I had hired to suckle her, and who now lived in town, was sick with the fever, and Psyche had gone to touch her. For they all said my hands cured it, and who knows, it might be. I felt as if they did. I told her she had done very wrong, and it was then that I... Fully perceived how much older she had grown since her sickness, for she neither accepted the rebuke like a child nor defended herself like a child, but looked at me with grave quietness, almost as if she were older than I, and gave me a pang at the heart. But who cursed you, I asked. Nothing happened till I left Nurse's house except that no one in the streets had saluted me and I thought that one or two women gathered their skirts together and drew away from me as I passed. Well, on the way back, first there was a boy, a lovely boy he was, not eight years old, who stared at me and spat on the ground. Oh, rude, said I, and laughed and held out my hand to him. He scowled at me as black as a little fiend, and then lost his courage and ran howling into the doorway. After that, the street was empty for a space, but presently, I had to pass a knot of men. They gave me black looks as I was passing, and as soon as my back was towards them, they were all saying, The accursed, the accursed, she made herself a goddess. And one said, She is the curse itself. Then they threw stones. No, I'm not hurt, but I had to run. What does it mean? What did I do to them? Do, said I, you healed them and blessed them and took their filthy disease upon yourself. And these are their thanks. I could tear them to pieces, "'Get up, child. Let me go. Even now. "'We are the king's daughters still. I'll go to the king. "'He may beat me and drag me by the hair if he pleases, "'but this he shall hear. Bread for them indeed. "'I'll—I'll—hush, sister. Hush,' said Psyche. "'I can't bear it when he hurts you. "'But I'm so tired, and I want my supper. "'There, don't be angry. "'You look just like our father when you say those things. "'Let us have supper here, you and I. "'There is some bad thing coming towards us. "'I have felt it a long time.' but I don't think it will come tonight. I'll clap my hands to call your maids. Though the words, you look just like our father had from her, had hurt me with a wound that sometimes aches still, I let go my anger and yielded. We supped together and turned our poor meal into a joke and a game and were in a fashion happy. One thing the gods have not taken from me, I can remember all that she said or did that night and how she looked from moment to moment. But whatever my heart boded, our ruin—and even now I had no clear foresight what it would be—did not fall upon us the next day. The whole train of days, a whole train of days, went past in which nothing happened except for the slow, steady worsening of everything in gloam. The shenet was now no more than a trickle between one puddle and another amid dry mud flats. There, the, it was the corpse of a river and stank. Her fish were dead, her birds dead, or gone away. The cattle had all died or been killed or were not worth the killing. The bees were dead. Lions, which had not been heard of in the land for forty years, came over the ridge of the Grey Mountain and took most of the few sheep we had left. The plague never ceased. All through these days I was waiting and listening, watching, when I could, everyone who went out of the palace or came in. It was well for me that the king found plenty of work, both of the fox and me, in the pillar room. Messengers and letters from the neighboring kings were coming in every day, demanding impossible things and contrary things, dragging up old quarrels or claiming old promises. They knew how things were in Gloam, and they clustered around us like flies and crows around a dying sheep. My father would pass in and out of his rages a dozen times in one morning. When he was in them, he would slap the fox about the face and pull me by the ears or the hair, and then between the fits... The tears would stand out in his eyes, and he would speak to us more like a child imploring help than a king asking counsel. Trapped, he would say, no way out, they will kill me by inches. What have I done that all these miseries should fall upon me? I have been a God-fearing man all my life. The only betterment in these days was that the fever seemed to have left the palace. We had lost a good many slaves, but we had better luck with the soldiers. Only one had died, and all the rest were now back on duty. Then we learned that the priest of Ungat had recovered from his fever. His sickness had been very long, for he had taken the fever and won over it, then taken it again, so that it was a wonder he should be alive. But it was noticed for a strange and unlucky thing about the sickness that it killed the young more easily than the old. On the seventh day, after this news, the priest came to the palace. The king, who saw his coming, as I did too, from the windows of the pillar room, said, What does the old carrion mean by coming here with half an army? There were indeed a good many spears behind his litter, for the house of Ungat has its own guards, and he had brought a big handful with him. They grounded their spears some distance from our gates, and only the litter was carried to the porch. They would better come no nearer, said the king. Is this treason or only pride? Then he gave some order to the captain of his own guard. I don't think he expected it would come to a fight, but... That was what I, being still young, looked for. I had never seen men fight, and being as big a fool in that way as most girls, I felt no dread, rather, a little tingling that I liked well enough. The bearer set down the litter, and the priest was lifted out of it. He was very old now and blind, and he had two temple girls with him to lead him. I had seen their kind before, but only by torchlight in the house of Ungit. They looked strange under the sun, with their gilt paps and their huge flaxen wigs and their faces painted till they looked like wooden masks. Only these two, and the priest, with one hand on a shoulder of each, came into the palace. As soon as they were in, my father called out to our men to shut and bar the door. The old wolf could hardly walk into such a trap if he meant mischief, he said, but we'll make sure. The temple girls led the priest into the pillar room, and a chair was set for him, and he was helped into it. He was out of breath and sat for a long time before he spoke, making a chewing motion with his gums, as old men do. The girls stood stiffly on either side of his chair, their meaningless eyes looking always straight ahead out of the mask of their painting. The smell of old age and the smell of the oils and the essences they put on those girls and the unget smell filled the room. It became very holy. Chapter 5 My father greeted the priest and wished him joy of his recovery. "'and called for wine to be given him. "'But the priest held up his hand and said, "'No, king, I am under a strong vow, "'and neither food nor drink must pass my lips "'till I have given my message.' "'He spoke well enough now, though weakly, "'and I noticed how much thinner he was since his sickness. "'As you please, servant of Ungit,' said the king, "'what is this message?' "'I am speaking to you, king, with the voice of Unget "'and the voice of all the people, "'the elders and the nobles of glome "'Did all these then send you with a message?' Yes, we were all gathered, or those who could speak for all were gathered, last night, and even until this day's daybreak, in the house of Unget, Were you death and scab, said my father, frowning, it's a new fashion to hold an assembly without the king's bidding, and newer still to hold it without bidding the king to it. There would have been no reason in bidding you to it, king, since we came together not to hear what you would say to us, but to determine what we would say to you. My father's look grew very black. And being gathered together, said the priest, we reckoned up all the woes that have come upon us. First, the famine, which still increases. Second, the pestilence. Third, the drought. Fourth, the certain expectation of war by next spring at the latest. Fifth, the lions. And lastly, king, your own barrenness of sons, which is hateful to Ungit. That's enough, shouted the king, you old fool. Do you think I need you or any other wise acres to tell me where my own belly aches? Hateful to unget, is it? Why does unget not mend it, then? She had bulls and rams and goats for me in plenty, blood enough to sail a ship on, if we're all reckoned. The priest jerked up his head as if, though blind, he were looking at the king. And now I saw better how his thinness had changed him. He looked like a vulture. I was more afraid of him than I had been. The king dropped his eyes. "'Bulls and rams and goats will not win Ungit's favor while the land is impure,' said the priest. "'I have served Ungit these fifty, no, sixty-three years, and I have learned one thing for certain. "'Her anger never comes upon us without cause, and it never ceases without expiation. "'I have made offerings to her for your father and your father's house, and it has always been the same. "'We were overthrown long before your day by the king of Esser.' and that was because there was a man in your grandfather's army who had lain with his sister and killed the child. He was the accursed. We found him out and expiated his sin, and then the men of Gloam chased the men of Esser like sheep. Your father himself could have told you how one woman, little more than a child, cursed Ungit's son, the god of the mountain, in secret. For her sake the floods came. She was the accursed. We found her out and expiated her sin and Shenet returned into her banks. And now, by all the signs I have reckoned over to you, we know that Ungnit's anger is far greater than ever within my memory. Thus we all said in her house last night, we all said, we must find the accursed. Though every man knew that he himself might be the accursed, no man spoke against it. I, too, I had not a word to say against it, though I knew that the accursed might be I, or you, king. For all I knew, and you may hold it for certain, that there will be no mending of all of our ills till the land is purged. Ungut will be avenged. It is not a bull or a ram that will quiet her now. "'You mean she wants man?' said the king. "'Yes,' said the priest, or woman. "'If they think I can get them a captive in war at present, they must be mad. The next time I take a thief, you can cut his throat over Ungut if you like.' "'That's not enough, king, and you know it. We must find the accursed, and she, or he, must die by the right to the great offering,' "'What is a thief more than a bull or a ram? "'That is not to be a common sacrifice. "'We must make the great offering. "'The brute has been seen again. "'And when it comes, the great offering must be made. "'That is how the accursed must be offered. "'The brute It's the first I've heard of it. "'It may be so. "'Kings seem to hear very little. "'They do not know even what goes on in their own palaces. "'But I hear. "'I lie awake in the nights, very long awake, "'and unget tells me things.' I hear the terrible doings in this land, mortals aping the gods and stealing the worship due to the gods. I looked at the fox and said soundlessly by the shaping of my lips, Redival. The king was walking up and down the room with his hands clasped behind his back and his fingers working. You're doting, he said. The brute's a tale of my grandmother's. It may well be, said the priest, for it was in her time the brute was last seen. We made the great offering and it went away who has ever seen this brute asked the father and what is it like eh those who have seen it closest can least say what it is like king and many have seen it of late your own chief shepherd of the gray mountain saw it the night the first lion came he fell upon the lion with a burning torch and in the light of the torch he saw the brute behind the lion very black and big a terrible shape "'As the priest said this, the king's walk had brought him close to the table "'where I and the fox sat with our tablets and other tools for writing. "'The fox slid along the bench and whispered something in my father's ear. "'Well said, fox,' muttered my father. "'Speak up,' say it to the priest. "'By the king's permission,' said the fox, "'the shepherd's tale is very questionable. "'If the man had a torch, of necessity the lion would have a big black shadow behind it. "'The man was scared, newly waked from sleep. "'He took a shadow for a monster.' That is the wisdom of the Greeks, said the priest. But Gloam does not take counsel with slaves, not even if they're the king's favorites. And if the brute was a shadow king, what then? Many say it is a shadow. But if that shadow com- begins coming down into the city, look to yourself. You are of divine blood and doubtless fear. Nothing but the people will fear. Their fear will be so great that not even I will be able to hold them. They will burn your palace about your ears. They will bar you in before they burn it. You would be wiser to make the great offering. How is it made, said the king? It has never happened in my time. It is not done in the house of Ungut, said the priest. The victim must be given to the brute, for the brute is, in a mystery, Ungut herself, or Ungut's son, the god of the mountain, or both. The victim is tied up, led up the holy mountain to the holy tree and bound to the tree and left. Then the brute comes, and that is why you angered Ungut just now, King, when you spoke of offering a thief in the great offering, the victim must be perfect for in holy language, a man so offered is said to be Ungut's husband, and a woman is said to be the bride of Ungut's son, and both are called the brute's supper and when the brute is Ungut, it lies with the man, and when it is her son, it lies with the woman, and either way, there is a devouring, many different things are said, many sacred stories, many great mysteries. Some say the loving and the devouring are all the same thing, for in sacred language we say that a woman who lies with a man devours the man. That is why you are so wide of the mark, king when you think a thief or an old worn-out slave or a coward taken in battle would do for the great offering. The best in the land is not too good for this office. The king's forehead, I saw, was clammy now. The holiness and horror of divine things were continually thickening in that room. All at once the fox burst out master master let me speak speak on said the king do you not say master said the fox that the priest is talking nonsense a shadow is to be an animal which is also a goddess which is also a god and loving is to be eating a child of six could talk more sense and a moment ago the victim of this abominable sacrifice was to be the accursed the wickedest person in the whole land offered as a punishment and now it is to be the best person in the whole land the perfect victim married to the god as a reward ask him which he means it can't be both if any hope had put up its head within me when the fox began it was killed this sort of talk would do no good i knew what had happened to the fox he had forgotten all his wiles even, in a way, his love and fears for Psyche, simply because things such as the priest had been saying had put him beyond all patience. I have noticed that all men, not only Greek men, if they have clear wits and ready tongues, will do the same. We are hearing much Greek wisdom this morning, King said the priest, and I have heard most of it before. I did not need a slave to teach it to me. It is very subtle. It brings no rain and grows no corn. Sacrifice does both. It does not even give them boldness to die. That Greek there is your slave, because in some battle he threw down his arms and let them bind his hands and lead him away and sell him rather than take a spear thrust in the heart. Much less does it give them understanding of holy things. They demand to see such things clearly as if the gods were no more than letters written in a book. I, King, have dealt with the gods for three generations of men, and I know that they dazzle our eyes and flow in and out of one another like eddies on a river, and nothing that is said clearly can be said truly about them. Holy places are dark places. It is life and strength, not knowledge and words, that you get in them. Holy wisdom is not clear and thin like water, but thick and dark like blood. Why should the accursed not be both the best and the worst? The priest looked more and more like a gaunt bird as he was speaking, not unlike the bird mask that lay on his knees, and his voice, though not loud, was no longer shaking like an old man's. The fox sat hunched together with his eyes fixed on the table. The taunt about being taken in war, I guess, had been a hot iron to some old ulcer in his soul. Certainly I would that moment have hanged the priest and made the fox a king if power had been given me, but it was easy to see on which side the strength lay." well well said the king quickening his stride this may be all very true i am neither priest nor greekling i they used to tell me i was the king what's next being determined therefore said the priest to seek out the accursed we cast the holy lots first we asked whether the accursed was to be found among the commons and the lot said no go on go on said the king i cannot speak quickly said the priest i have not breath for it now then we asked if it was among the elders and the lot said no there was a clear mottled color in the king's face now his fear and his anger was just on the balance and neither he nor anyone else knew at all which would have the victory then we asked if it were among the nobles and the lot said no and then you asked said the king stepping up close to him and speaking low and the priest said then we asked is it in the king's house and the lot said yes I, said the king, rather breathless, I, I thought as much, I smelled it from the beginning, treason in a new cloak, treason, then louder, treason, next moment he was at the door roaring, treason, treason, guards, Bardia, where are my guards, where's Bardia, send Bardia, there was a rush and a jingle of iron, and guards came running, Bardia, their captain, a very honest man, came in bardia said the king there are too many people about my door today take what men you think you need and fall on those rebels who are standing with spears out yonder over against the gate don't scatter them but kill kill do you see don't leave one of them alive kill the temple guards king said the bardia looking from the king to the priest and back to the king again temple rats temple pimps shouted the king are you deaf are you afraid i and his rage choked him "'This is foolishness, king,' said the priest. "'All gloam is in arms. "'There is a party of armed men at every door of the palace by now. "'Your guards are outnumbered ten to one. "'They won't fight. "'Would you fight against Unget Bardia?' "'Will you slink away from my side, Bardia,' said the king, "'after eating my bread. "'You were glad of my shield to cover you one day in Varen's wood.' "'You saved my head that day, king,' said Bardia. "'I'll never say otherwise. "'May Ungit send me to do as much for you, "'though there may be chance enough next spring.' I'm for the king of Gloam and the gods of Glom, while I I live. But if the king and the gods fall out, you great ones must settle it between you. I'll not fight against powers and spirits. You, you girl, squealed the king, his voice shrill as a pipe. Then be off, I'll talk with you presently. Bardius saluted and went out, and you could see from his face that he cared no more for the insult than a great dog cares for a puppy making believe to fight him. Mm -hmm. The next moment the door was shut, the king, all quiet and white again, whipped out his dagger, the same he had killed the page with the night Psyche was born, stepped up to the priest's chair in three long cat strides, shouldered the two girls away, and had the point of the dagger through the priest's robes and into his skin. You old fool, he said, where is your plot now, eh? Can you feel my bodgin? Does it tickle you? As that, or that? I can drive it into your heart as quickly or slowly as I please. The wasps may be outside, but I've got the queen wasp here. And now, what do you do? I have never, to speak of things merely mortal, seen anything more wonderful than the priest's stillness. Hardly any man can be quite still when a finger, much less a dagger, is thrust into a place between two ribs. The priest was. Even his hands did not tighten on the arms of the chair, Never moving his head or changing his voice, he said, "'Drive it in, king, swift or slow, if it pleases you. "'It will make no difference. "'Be sure the great offering will be made, whether I am dead or living. "'I am here in the strength of unget "'While I have breath, I am unget's voice, perhaps longer. "'A priest does not wholly die. "'I may visit your palace more often, both by day and night, if you kill me. "'The others will not see me. "'I think you will.' This was the worst yet. The fox had taught me to think at any rate to speak of the priest as of a mere schemer and a politic man who put into the mouth of Ungut whatever might most increase his own power and lands and most harm his enemies. I saw it was not so. He was sure of Ungut. Looking at him as he sat with the dagger pricking him and his blind eyes unwinking, fixed on the king and his face like an eagle's face, I was sure, too. My real, "'Our real enemy was not mortal. "'The room was full of spirits "'and the horror of holiness. "'With a beastly noise, "'all groan and snarl, "'my father turned away from the priest "'and flung himself into his own chair, "'leaned back and passed his hands over his face "'and ruffled his hair like a man who was tired. "'Go on, finish it,' he said. "'And then,' said the priest, "'we asked whether it was the king "'who was the accursed, "'and the lot said no.' "'What?' said the king." "'and this is the greatest shame I have to tell of in my whole life.' "'His face cleared. "'He was only a hair's breadth from smiling. "'I had thought that he had seen the arrow pointed at Psyche all along, "'had been afraid for her, fighting for her. "'He had not thought of her at all, nor of any of us. "'Yet I am credibly told he was a brave enough man in the fight. "'Go on,' he said, but his voice was changed, "'freshened, as if ten years of his age had slipped off him. "'The lot fell on your youngest daughter, King.' She is the accursed. The princess Istra must be the great offering. Oh, it's very hard, said the king, gravely and glum enough, but I saw he was acting. He was hiding the greatness of his own relief. I went mad. In a moment I was at his feet, clinging to his knees as suppliants cling, babbling out I didn't know what, weeping, begging, calling him father, a name I had never used before, I believe he was glad of the diversion. He tried to kick me away, and when I still clung to his feet, rolling over and over, bruised in face and breast, he rose, gathered me up by my shoulders, and flung me from him with all of his power. You, he shouted, you, you to raise your voice among the councils of men, you troll, you queen, you mandrake root, have I not hoes and miseries and horrors enough heaped upon me by the gods, but you also must come scrabbling and clawing me. It would have come to biting in a trice if I'd let you. There's Vixen in your face this minute. For two straws, I'd have you to the guardhouse to be flogged. Name of Ungit. Are gods and priests and lions and shadow brutes and traitors and cowards not enough unless I'm plagued with girls as well? I think he felt better the longer he railed. The breath had been knocked out of me so I could neither sob nor rise to speak. Somewhere above my head I heard them talking on, making all the plans for Psyche's death. She was to be kept prisoner in her chamber. No, 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 better in the room with five sides, which was more secure. The temple guards would reinforce our own. The whole house must be guarded, for the people were weathercocks. There might be a change of mood, even a rescue. They were talking soberly and prudently, like men providing for a journey or a feast. Then I lost myself in darkness at a roaring noise. Okay. We have... A degree of um, information. The uh, reading for this book is going to take about six weeks, this being the first. Uh, That took about an hour and 15 minutes for the approximate reading time. Uh, We like to go through any kind of questions of fact that might have come up in the reading. uh, To clear up anything that might be a, a... Confusion about what's going on or where it's going on or such. Uh, a few things. Uh, originally, the, uh, the title, the working title for the book was called Bareface before. Uh. And uh, I don't know quite know why it was changed. Maybe the publisher didn't like it or something. Uh, the title page, quote, was Love is too young to know what conscience is. And it's also subtitled A Myth Retold. The myth is out of Apuleius's uh, The Golden Ass. This is Apuleius here. Um, book four, into book four, through book five, and then into book six, about 50 pages, 40 pages, is the story of Psyche and, and Cupid in the Greek myth. And Lewis decided to retell that myth as a historic problem Rather than a myth, and so this is supposedly the real thing that happened that the myth came out of, and uh, that was his purpose. Um, if you read Apuleius, he's a he's a Roman, you know, second century A.D. Uh, North African. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, not an extremely dirty book, but sufficiently so. Just be. We read some of the Romans. You get that some of the times, but it's kind of comic because the author is turned into an ass and he goes wandering through looking to get cured of being an ass, um, an actual ass, not a <laughs> temperamental one. But but that's you uh, feel free to look at it if if you want it at some point. Um, the time frame, given the details in the book that we're able to kind of place where Lewis is putting it. It's between three and 300 and 200 B.C., um, north of Greece, what's called Hyperborea, um, the high north, and um, n- not real kingdom. glome is not a real kingdom. You know, uh, These are all sort of invented uh, uh, place names and the like. Um, the... Uh, There's a few quotes that are, uh, when you get the, uh, when, when, when the fox is quoting some poetry, he quotes uh, um, one kind of uh, inspirational quote from uh, uh, Simonides, the one that's uh, virtue sought by a man with travail and toil. He knows that's sort of inspirational, r- good proverb stuff, but he really likes the one about the apple-laden lands, or the other one, um, the moon's gone down, but I lo- alone I lie. That That's Sappho from um, uh, the 500s B.C., um... Uh, there's a few other quotes. I couldn't find them. They're, they're probably originally when he quotes some of his philosophical uh, remarks. <laughs> I think he sort of structured that out of his own, um, uh, familiarity with Greek thought. Uh, uh, there's a strong hint of Platonism and uh, in The, the Fox. Uh, um, the, uh, I think that's it for quotes. Um, the I'm sure some of you, when the when the priest is talking about the need for the accursed to be perfect and sacrificed, you are getting your Christian knickers in a twist, thinking, thinking something is going. Finally, at last, Lewis doing what Lewis does. Lewis was not doing that. Uh, just to correct. A letter from uh, this is informational I I share it with you to disabuse people from doing bad things to this book Uh, trying to find the Christianity in it Uh, he's writing to Clyde S. Kilby 1957 right after this very version was published in the United States so my The author doesn't necessarily understand the meaning of his own story better than anyone else, so I give my account of "till we Have Faces simply for what it's worth. The levels I am conscious of are these: One: a work of supposed historical imagination, a guess of what might have been it might have been like in a little barbarous state on the borders of the Hellenistic world, Greek culture, world of Greek culture, just beginning to affect it. Hence the change from the old priest of a very normal fertility mother goddess to Arnon. Stoic allegorizations of the myth standing to the original cult rather as modernism to Christianity, but this is a parallel, not an allegory. Much that you take as allegory was intended solely as realistic detail. The wagon men are nomads from the steppes. The children made mud pies not for symbolic purposes but because children do. The pillar room is simply a room. The fox is such an educated Greek slave as you might find at a barbarous court, and so on. Two, psyche is an instance of the anima naturali- naturaliter Christiana, making the best of of the pagan religion she is brought up in, and thus being guided, but always under the cloud, always in terms of her own imaginations or that of her people, towards the true God. She is in some ways like Christ, because every good man or woman is like Christ. What else could they be like? But of course, my interest is primarily in Orwell. 3. Orwell is not a symbol, but an instance, case of human affection in its natural condition true, tender suffering, but in the long run tyrannically possessive and ready to turn to hatred when the beloved ceases to be its possession. What such what such love particularly cannot stand is to see the beloved passing into a sphere where it cannot follow. All this, I hope, would stand as a mere story in its own right." And then he has a little comment about um, uh, how families turn on the family member who becomes a Christian and how that's their real love, their really family att- attachment, that sees Christianity dragging the, f- the family member away, and they feel jealous and possessive and, and angry, um, which he, is co- he does in Screwtape as well. He comments on that in Screwtape. So he, ba- basically what you have to live with is C.S. Lewis did not think this was allegorical. He thought it was just a historic narrative which shared human elements of that world, uh, and human realizations and and reactions. Um, I am sure there's any number of people who think there's a a Christian allegory, but uh, he didn't. Um, this is letters of C.S. Lewis. Um, so besides uh, those um, things, what did you? Um, come up with, or notice, or want to point to. Wait, just to clarify, are you saying that, that perfect sacrifice is also a curse he did not get from Christianity? Right. So where did he get it from? The myth of Cupid and Psyche. Oh, uh, okay, that's the same thing is it? that myth? Yeah, if you're, uh, in Apuleius, yeah, the same. Sort of. It's not worded in a cursed and perfect, but it is the uh, the beautiful daughter who is has to be married, slain by, uh, the uh the snake or some some element that's like the brute, um, in the situation. But it's it's giving her over to Cupid. Uh, and if I don't know, I'm spoiling the story, the god of the mountain is Cupid. Okay, the god of love, um, and uh, um, so that. that But he would say uh, something he said, Ali, before in other parts, is he always felt that the Greeks, while the Jews were given it in words, the Greeks were given images and pictures that were preparations uh, for what would happen, like with the myth of Adonis or Tammuz or, you know, whatever, that the pagans saw in their myths pictures that had similar tracking but. You couldn't once you tried to allegorize it, you couldn't put Christ in the place of psyche and have it work it, it that that was just uh um, the story just does not keep agreeing with you. You got this little bit of moment but Lewis likes that Greek myth being a picture in one part just like the like the Jewish sacrifices were uh, uh, viewing these sacrifices as uh Atonements in all religions, so you're going to always get that language. But I, I think he thought it was generically, like you said, they she was the anima naturaliter Christiana. It was a natural expression of what it is to be good, but as far as her, her own lights and her paganism allowed her to be. Yeah, Ali. As far as I know, um, in Apuleius. There's not really, like, the juxtaposition of the, the extremes of... Good and the, bad. Good and bad in the sacrifice, per se. But, I don't know, I guess... You were talking about how it's um he's drawing on other pagan mm-hmm. myths. And... It could just... Well, as you think Lewis is purposefully drawing from those sorts of things. Where the it's
1: almost the same elements... Um, in Greek tragedy where
0: there's a good man who's also accursed because he's fated, not necessarily by reason of his own sin but because of what he is mm-hmm. that it he's a curse but and you always get you're all you're always fatal flawed in some way um, um, um. Let's see, I was trying to look uh, as I look for something. does anybody else have another any comments that they want to pursue? You, you get that Lewis, Lewis didn't even believe that Narnia was an allegory. okay? Hmm. Lewis believed that Narnia was an, analog, an analogy. It was analogous events, but it wasn't allegorical. You couldn't put Christianity in Narnia. The 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 Christ, Aslan, doesn't die for the sins of everybody. He dies to save Edmund. You know, there is no church, you know. There is no... Um, it, it's basically what he would have... At, what the second person of the triune God would do in that world... Would reflect the same character as this world, but the plot's different. You know, so... Uh, he's not trying to claim that that the white witch is Satan and just a bad character. That in that world, that bad character has to be defeated a certain way, um, and so there, are, the the people see the common elements not and think that it's allegory. Lewis was largely set against allegory on principle. Um, he warns about it in uh, um, I think English literature in the sixteenth century where he's warning about the return of allegory uh, in modern interpretive forms and he said it would be a bad thing it was a bad thing when it happened and it's a bad thing if it comes back so he he he's sort of set against that but people see the analogy and what this is a, is a historically analogous situation this is paralleling he said in those comments what happens it is like so much else in human history, but it's but he's trying to write a compelling story of what really happened. The things are not symbols for things. They're just people who react like people do, and it's illustrative of his spiritual understanding of people. You learn a lot about philosophers, you know, like the fox. Um, It wasn't a talking fox, fox, nor a badger, and uh, uh, but just a Greek. A Greek slave. A a Greek. Now, interestingly enough, I I thought in this section, the fox's comments tracked right along with exactly what we would do in a similar situation with a bunch of barbarians. Mm -hmm. When that awful story about the brute comes down, and I could picture any one of us going, yeah, you're waving a torch at a lion. There's a shadow behind it that's all shape, and Yeah. I mean, how awful. I mean, and the contraries and the accursed and the perfect. You can't have it both ways, you know. It can't be eating and married. It can't be, it can't be. Now, tragically, what we learn in the story is the materialist mind isn't right. The fox is wrong, and consequently, we're wrong. You know that, and this is something that tracks. It was a great quote in uh, to the end of the reading tonight, um, where the priest, where he is defending against what the fox says, and um, um I have dealt with, and and she has this a little bit later when she believes the priest believes the priest is is unshakable in his belief because I have dealt with the gods for three generations of men and I know that they dazzle our eyes and flow in and out of one another like eddies on a river and nothing that is said clearly can be said truly about them okay um, holy places are dark places. It is life and strength, not knowledge and words that we get in them. Holy wisdom is not clear and thin like water, but thick and dark like blood. Now that's that's Lewis's idea, uh, that he made a judgment to God the Doc on his essay on... Um, uh, What was it on? Christian Apologetics. And right at the end of the little essay on Christian Apologetics, he says, um, um, For my own part, I have sometimes told my audience that the only two things really worth considering are Christianity and Hinduism. Islam is only the greatest of the Christian heresies Buddhism is only the greatest of the Hindu heresies. Real paganism is dead. All that was best in Judaism and Pelatonism survives in Christianity. There isn't really, for an adult mind, this infant variety of religions to consider. We may salva reverentia, divide religions as we do soups, into thick and clear. By thick I mean those which have orgies and ecstasies and mysteries and local attachments. Africa is full of thick religions. By clear, I mean those which are philosophical, ethical, and universalizing. Stoicism, Buddhism, and the ethical church are clear religions. Now, if there is a true religion, it must be both thick and clear. For the true God must have made both the child and the man, both the savage and the citizen, both the head and the belly. And the only two religions that fulfill this condition are Hinduism and Christianity. But Hinduism fulfills it imperfectly. The clear religion of the Brahmin hermit in the jungle and the thick religion of the neighboring temple go on side by side. The Brahmin hermit doesn't bother about the temple prostitution, nor the worshiper in the temple about the hermit's metaphysics. But Christianity really breaks down the middle wall of the partition. It takes a convert from Central Africa and tells him to obey an enlightened universalist ethic. It takes a 20th century academic prig like me and tells me to go fast into a mystery to drink the blood of the Lord. The savage convert has to be clear. I have to be thick. That is one, how one knows to come, to come to know the real religion. So this is a principle of Lewis's, and it's his, you might say his first solid grip on how we might not be in the best hands with the fox. He's kind, he's intelligent, he's clear. But he's sort of taking an Aristotelian observation of his world and only making the claims he can make according to nature. And all the myths that tell all of these dark things where temple prostitutes like at the House of Ungat are being served in grotesque mysteries just aren't real shall not be accepted as evidence. Yeah, right. But but Lewis thinks, no, those are as real as the clear, and that's what the human condition needs, is bloody sexual religions attached to your um, your clear philosophy.
1: The Fox says, when he tells the story of, I think it's of Aphrodite, yeah, he <coughs> finally says, it's only lies of poets, lies of poets,
0: child. Lies of poets, but it kind of moved him. He knew that he was more moved by Sappho's poetry, and when he gets into the story of uh, uh, Aphrodite, which is um, Aeneas' father, I think so. and Aeneas' father, in that relationship. Um, so there is, there is, he feels it too, but he's trying to break free of that into pure philosophy, um,
1: yeah, and he gets kind of he hits that middle ground when he says something like uh, like the divine nature is without is without jealousy. He's still trying to accept that there is a divine nature, but but tame it down.
0: Um, in a very Platonist way. There's that yeah. uh, the 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 impact the impassible the immutable is not going to be contingent. It's only going to be necessary, and so how could a god? truly the perfect feel jealousy or envy, you know, um, and so he's, he's applying his his claims out of his thinking, but uh, it right. turns out that it isn't all the world.
1: Right, um, on my, in my book on page 50 it says, uh, the priest says, we are hearing much Greek wisdom this morning, king, mm-hmm. and I have heard mo- most of it before. I did not need a slave to teach it to me. It is very subtle, but it brings no rain and grows no corn. Sacrifice does both and does not even give them boldness to die. <laughs> that Greek there is your slave because in some battle he threw down his arms and let them bind his hands and let him lead him away and sell him rather than take a spear thrust uh, in his heart, much less does it give them under- uh, understanding of holy things. Um, so, yeah, he he's in... Uh, yeah, trying to think of the gods in this more platonist way. He like it, it. kind of trickles down into. Um, it. It doesn't give give him any boldness. Um, any. It
0: didn't fill in that gap for him that he needed by the thick. Mm-hmm. Well, the priest believes uh, he's a true believer. <laughs> no. But he. But he's a true believer of very foul. Yes, you know religion, yes, yes. but mm-hmm. he believes it solidly. The. The, the Fox believes in his philosophy, both have failed, one fails to reason adequately, one fails to understand the world is more than just your clear words, you know, that sometimes you gotta, you gotta deal with mysteries, um, mm-hmm. um <coughs> there was a, a, few themes that started to track through it, smells, mm-hmm. um, the, the smell of unget, you know, the, of holiness, uh, Still which is its own, we don't attack, we, we tend to think of holiness as a faithful completion of the tasks of the Ten Commandments. Again, we're being all clear about it, rather than going, no, holiness has a stink. Um, uh, oh, he says at one point, the horror of holiness. Mm-hmm. The, these are things that are both terrible and admirable, kind of like when her father went out to do battle to those rebels and she came close to loving him when she saw him in his armor. What's that, ladies? Is that a thing?
1: Yeah, like probably. Kind of dudes yeah. in armor. I Have not
0: seen my dad do that, but yes. But <laughs> well, here's a man she pretty much despises, and you know. Oh yeah, um, she.
1: You were talking about her, when she said, "She's her, yeah. her father." She's
0: her father in armor, uh-huh. or when she, th- you know, thinks of the fight that men yeah. have that she's never seen one. But Is that it what set she a said tingle he of a tingling, it. yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: I wonder what that was. It's horrible what he's going to do, but there's something noble and abnormal in it.
0: Yeah. yeah, and so there's also this sink and. Faces. Obviously, the book is called Till We Have Faces. Now, we we'll get to the meaning of that later in the book, but but it's being sort of drumbeat into us. One, Orwell's ugly. That's the thing. Psyche is beautiful. Redival's pretty hot. You know, as far as we can refer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and the King's always yelling about faces, faces, faces. So there's some something going on that Lewis is uh, repeating when. When he when the fox speaks of uh, Psyche as like um, uh, Helen newly hatched, uh, mm-hmm. that's because yeah. Helen was hatched because that comes from when Zeus went after um, Leda and bred with her as a swan. When she gives birth, it's an egg, and Helen is hatched out of the egg. So when he says newly hatched. Helen, uh, uh, um, you, you.
1: well, there's that paragraph where Orwell starts to, uh, get a little weird about Psyche, um,
0: about how, wishing her, wishing to be, be her wife, so she could bear full her, full sister, yeah. and then husband, and wanna mother, somehow. I want to be a wife.
1: I wanted to, so I could have been her real mother. I wanted to be a boy so that she could be in love with me. I wanted her to be my full sister instead of my half-sister. I wanted her to be a slave so that I could set her free and make her rich. Is it is that just to express the intensity of how much she wanted to be in her...
0: Well, it, goes, it goes to what Lewis' main points is what does... Uh, The thing loved in a family relationship become to you what it has become to you. She has made all these stories up, narratives in her mind that are what Psyche is to her. How much she is to her. And Orwell's the one who features in that. I become this. I become Mm -hmm. that. uh, Because Psyche's so wonderful. But Psyche's failure, just you notice when she gets older after her fever... Mm-hmm. And she starts to think or respond to oral differently, yeah. and oral feels that stab in her side or that cold hand on her side. Those those sorts of uh, physical, gut wrenching things, not because just because problems are coming, but because these personal narratives are are her way of handling this great love the ugly girl has for the perfectly beautiful girl. Uh, and the perfectly beautiful, nice girl. Uh, Who's never going to love her as intensely. Right. She's never going to... It, right, and I think that this is how the trap or you circle the drain in these kind of psychotic uh, claims. Uh, how about... I um to um, make sure we pick up all the... Um, it's pretty direct in terms of its brutality. Um, I don't think anybody bothered by that. We couldn't make a Christian movie out of it, but um I can feel it. Um, okay, Ooh, the, the, horrible. <laughs> well, nobody'd be volunteering, I tell you that. much. Yeah. Um, how about the the priest's remark um The priest's remark where he says, devouring loving, which are the same thing, you know, that, that don't, uh, when a woman makes love to a man, is it not devouring him, you know. Uh, Now he's, you're suddenly getting a, a, um, he says it in another place when he's talking about uh, love, I think it's in the four loves about, love you, uh, I am you, and then how lovers speak of eating each other, you know, they they have this consuming quality about the relationship. Um, mm-hmm. um
1: kind of reminded me of John Donne a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not too much, we hope.
1: No. <laughs> but like in... Um, ...batter my heart. Mm-hmm. Three person God. It's kind of the, kind of the same thing. Especially when we're thinking about the, um, the relationship of the, the divine here to uh, the perfect sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, God and John Donne, um, you know, rapes and pillages the town of your heart <laughs> to <laughs> to get at you and and finally. And I
0: think probably done since he was such a body poet uh pre christianity um like the priest, the priest is a priest of a love goddess, mm-hmm. served the temple prostitutes, and his whole rendering of everything the liturgy is sexual that mm-hmm. uh, that's what and violently so in some cases where where people are killed and um uh, and such so Dunn is sort of tracks with that might uh, probably a little too free uh, in his uh, metaphysics uh, <laughs> was there anything else that uh, um, interesting remarks or uh, the, the, when he calls uh, when he calls orwell the king calls orwell you troll you queen you mandrake root Troll is a prostitute. A queen is Q U E A N. Is a prostitute, and a mandrake root is a aphrodisiac. Comes up in the Bible. Uh, Leah, uh, her son finds a mandrake root and um, uh, trades a night of love with her sister for the price of the mandrake root because. It had aphrodisiac or fertility or phallic purposes Uh, in antiquity. It was just a grotesque carrot-like root uh, that sometimes looked like a little man. And uh, (laughs) so that's, he's not calling her a queen. He's calling her a queen. The bad kind. Him a queen. I love that the,
1: the, you can kind of already see the differences in how Psyche loves, or how Psyche approaches the world and how oral approaches the world. Like, um, uh, uh, Orwell says, I told her she had done very wrong, and it was then that I fully perceived how much older she had grown since her sickness. For she neither accepted the rebuke like a child, nor defended herself like a child, but looked at me with a grave quietness, almost as if she were older than I. And it gave me a pain at the heart. And so and so Psyche is just like very measured and calm and she's just honest about, about what's going on. And if something is wrong with her, then she'll take it so she can become better. Um, anyway, and then uh, later on... Um, uh, Psyche is is saying, they threw stones. I'm not hurt, but I had to run. What does it mean? What did I do to them? And then Oral says, Do you healed them and blessed them and took their filthy disease upon yourself? And these are their things, so I could tear them in pieces. And she's kind of, she doesn't know that that's true, and she's, um, but but she just wants to, she wants to flatter Psyche into.
0: And Psyche says, You look just like your father. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and yeah. that
0: comes back to hurt her mm-hmm. years and years ahead um, because Orwell is more like her father yeah. um, and uh, um, but you see this this kind of uh, psyche is when she was growing up she had the degree of beauty that was measured for the age she was it, it wasn't an excess of beauty at it was a 4 year olds beautiful girl, a two-year-old beautiful girl, an 11-year-old beautiful girl, a, a beautiful woman. But it was never beyond what nature and rightness suggested. And she then, personality-wise, grows in her understanding about what is real. She's the most real, this whole problem of thick and clear. Psyche is on kind of on board with both and, yeah. and accepts, whereas the king or or Orwell, are, Orwell's always coming back at the fox with reminders of pagan outlooks and is having to be corrected, whereas Psyche seems to be learning step after step in the right way, kind of like the green lady in Paralandra, yeah, uh, I'm, sure I, I'm, right. I'm I'm getting, I'm getting older, older mm-hmm. you know. And, yeah. that, and that is sort of that initial pain to to Orwell is that she's outstripped. She first makes a comment to Redival, she's half a head taller than you, and Redival has the usual catty sort of response to it, but Orwell's feeling the same thing. Here is this much younger sister, now an adult woman, and getting past you in all sorts of ways. Um, Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's like you see, just like, it's able to, you know, take... um, take the truth, but also give it out in a way that's loving, and and Oral um, and is, always, is always lying to herself, or trying to like, get at somebody else, you know, like,
0: did, yeah. yeah. Did, did uh, Psyche heal the people or not? Hmm. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lewis makes it clear that he's not going to tell you. Yeah, he's ambiguous. Yeah, he yeah. very, he just left it, wears her out, describes who she is, and then people are fickle, or the people who got healed, or the ones she touched, or the the rumors that came back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it gave us us the opportunity, like with Psyche, like the fox. We're not sure it could happen. It could be according to nature, it might, but you know we're we're sort of torn, sort of like with biblical narratives of because he phrases it like biblical healings, of uh, her shadow falling on them, kissing the. Hammer of her garment sort of thing uh, but you're not told that it worked you're just told that that is her heart but that's not we're not saying that's her heart and it didn't happen you know it, it isn't most more important that we believe it could happen but we, we can never know it's we're left without knowing and we're having to decide are we going to slip towards the fox's direction or slip to the priest's direction you know are we going to be- what are we going to believe? Um, um, I like some of the kind of just the moments when the king says, "I've been a God-fearing man." You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What a kind of yeah. clueless person are you? Or the, I think the most poignant thing was the horror about her father when it's not the father who's the accursed, and he finds out and. The, the, the relief described there, almost smiled, 10 years younger, yeah. um, and it was just that, that was the most horrific thing in her whole life, you know, is that, watching that happen. I, I thought it was a pretty dramatic, uh, dramatic moment. Well, uh, I don't want to keep you any later than you want to be kept. You're more than welcome to light something up adult, um, not illegal. But, uh, and discuss things more. Uh, um, but, uh, eat another cookie. How old is Oral? when it starts it say? Well, so it was, they're just little kids, um, when their mother dies. So I would say probably, uh.
1: Yeah five
0: or six something like that. Uh, Redival's three years younger so she has to be old enough for them to have an actual playtime relationship so maybe you know five and eight something like that and then um, it's not quite not quite clear obviously Redival has come of breeding age because of her behavior uh but just she's just coming into her body parts. And uh, uh but then you have to have enough time for uh, psyche to grow up to that young adult state
1: I was just trying to think